And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with a post-election day episode of Cinema, episode 70, and it's brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. This is a personal episode. For all of you that are listening out there that are actors, whether you're writers, directors, a common question always comes back and that is, when do I get representation? Should I get representation? And there really is no clear-cut definitive answer. I'm doing this episode and why it falls under the auspices of cinema is a look at can representation actually be a cynical process? And, and I think most of you are already nodding your heads going, yes. There are probably a number of you out there that, that have horror stories of representation, having an agent, a manager, whatever. And really understanding that a lot of times these people do not work for you. They say they'll work for you. But in the end, you're really out there scavenging for yourself. So I want to go back a little bit and look at the cynicism of some things and talk about how, as I started coming into this industry, my first dealing with getting an agent, because that's also a Hollywood trope. I, I need an agent. I'm working to get a good agent. I need to get a better agent. I need to get a better manager. And movies reference this all the time. I mean, if you remember in the movie Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman is constantly at odds with his manager. Um, so we're, we're going to go back and uh, look at real quick first my early days. I started by sending out scripts. I wrote scripts, I sent them out, and I sent them out to the most unlikely of places. Now, by sending out scripts, I mean actually printing up scripts, spending money, going to copy centers, getting scripts printed, bound in the proper three ring kind of hole punch with the brass fasteners to keep it all together with a cover page. This was before you could just create a PDF and email it out and batch on a BCC to five, 10, 15 managers or agents. So this was not only an arduous, time-consuming process, it was expensive. So I had to take a chance on, you know, who am I going to? Who am I looking for? And uh, sometimes I just didn't send stuff out to managers or agents because the other thing that comes back is they will not look at your work if it has not been solicited. So unless their company has reached out to you to say, we would like to see a piece of your work, an example of your work, they're going to send it right back to you unopened. And, and that's for legality reasons. And I get it. They, they don't want to be sued for the claim that they stole your idea. So I understand that. So I learned that the hard way as well. But sometimes I sent my work to just industry people. You grab enough darts and throw them at a dartboard. Eventually, you're going to get a bullseye. And I can't remember exactly how it happened, but somebody responded. And they said, you know, we'd, we'd really like to uh, hear more from you. Now, this led to an introduction to a very high up person at Sony Pictures. And I got this introduction because I sent a script out uh, to one of the chairmen of a company that I worked for. And he happened to be friends with this guy, this big high up executive. I'm not going to drop the name, although most of you that understand the industry, you're going to recognize that name. And they said, uh, let's, uh, let's get you out there. So they sent my script to this guy. He liked it 
and uh, asked for a meeting. Now, I gathered up my own money. I was not in the industry at this time. I was relatively young and I flew to Hollywood, to Los Angeles, to Sony Studios, Sony Pictures Studios, and I met with this executive. This executive liked me enough to introduce me to a team of filmmakers. Uh, back then, there were a lot of vanity production companies, and I'm not going to say the names of these people, although some of them are, are still active, and, and some of them were doing things, and then they just kind of petered out, and I see them their names pop up once in a while. But they liked uh, one of my scripts enough. It was more of a, had some fantasy elements to it, which was very odd for me to do. And uh, they, they kind of wanted to cultivate that. And through this, they sent the script to an agent. And this was a top end agent. Now he was an independent. He did not work for any of the big ones like WME, CAA, and, and all of those, UTA. Uh, instead, this was a private guy, but had a very impressive list of clients. And I'm not going to drop his name or their names, but I was very starstruck at the age that I was that I was coming into the family of some of these writers. In fact, one of the writers, his wife was having a baby, and I was so much a fan of his writing and big blockbuster films that I asked my agent if he would pass on uh, a baby card, a congratulations baby card to him. Now, I was young and naive. First of all, this, this writer didn't know me from Adam, and I highly doubt that my agent, who was repping me, uh, did anything to pass that on. So let's keep focusing on, on what this episode is about. This agent, who is a top-end agent, he decides... Uh, you know, I want to see your work. Let's let's do all of this. So I start writing some things and I do basically a, a commercial pitch, whereas you write down a bunch of your ideas that you think would make blockbuster franchise or tentpole movies or successful commercial films and you submit them. And he looked them over and, and look, this isn't about my ego. His job is to tell me, yes, this will sell. No, this won't. That's what their job is to do. If you have very thin skin and you don't want people telling you that they don't like your ideas, then this industry may not be for you. Now, this went on a while and I came up with a couple ideas that I thought might work. This was around 1991 and I approached my agent with the idea of a big screen Hollywood Godzilla movie. And I wrote up a treatment and it was a damn good treatment. It was about 20 pages long and it really was detailed. And I laid it all out how this could be a big screen kind of thing. Now, keep in mind, by 1991, we still did not have Jurassic Park. So we didn't have any real means other than suitmation or stop motion animation on how to do Godzilla again. So would it be another guy in a suit? Uh, would it be a stop motion animation Godzilla, kind of like, you know, in the way that, you know, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic might do it. But I, I don't know if that was even the factor at all. I remember that my agent called me and he said, look, I read over your treatment and, and it seems like a great idea. But I'm going to tell you, Hollywood will never make a big budget Godzilla movie. Monster movies are long over. Holy shit, do I remember those words. Now, of course, a couple years later, we got Jurassic Park and suddenly big dinosaur-like monster movies were back. Roland Emmerich went ahead and, uh, you know, created their 1998 Godzilla. And I so wanted to let this guy know he was still repping me, believe it or not, by 1998. I wanted to let him know, hey, you were wrong. 
Now, from 1991 to 1998, this man had not sold a single thing of mine. Not one. I came to him with another commercial idea. I just watched Alien 3. And look, the debate, we're not here to debate Alien 3 or review it. But I can say that my initial reaction to Alien 3 was not a positive one. And mostly because they killed off Carrie Hen's Newt. And they killed her off in the first five minutes of the movie. The ending titles weren't even over. And they killed that kid who was the whole reason for Aliens. The whole point of Aliens was to rescue that little girl. And in five minutes, they summarily dismissed her. And I ended up writing a fourth installment to Alien. And the installment would have brought the battle to Earth. And he said again, I know what you're thinking, but the problem is this franchise is dead. The Alien franchise is done. This third one has finished it. No one's interested in making another Alien film. And then a couple years later, we got Alien Resurrection. And then we got Alien vs. Predator. And then we got another Alien vs. Predator. And then we got... Prometheus and Covenant and who knows where it's going from there. Wrong again. The only thing that he got me out on a job for was to write a script for the Boxcar Children. Many of you probably don't remember that, but it was a series of children's books that when I was in second and third grade, our teacher used to read to us. And it was about a group of orphan kids who end up living in an abandoned train boxcar kind of thing and their misadventures and all of that stuff. And Disney was planning on doing it. And they also came to me with the idea of writing a treatment for The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. So I wrote treatments for both. Neither of them went anywhere. And I don't know, here's the other thing as we get into this episode, I don't know how hard my agent fought for me on that. The Alien franchise and Godzilla were both two big strikes. When my contract came up for renewal and I actually had a physical contract, some of you will know you can quote unquote sign with an agency and you'll never sign a contract. It's just basically a verbal agreement. That's what they do. And, and, and it does happen that way. But I had a signed contract with this guy and it was myself. I was the one who said, I don't think I'm going to re-up with you. I just don't think that this is really worth it. And I did tell him at one point, I said, look, are my scripts or treatments or whatever I'm sending to you, are, are these really worth your time? Are you really reading them? Or are they just paperweights on your desk? So we parted ways. And I went for years after that without any type of representation. I ended up getting Tommy Lee Wallace, the director of Fright Night 2 and Halloween 3, and a long lineage with the Halloween uh, series and Stephen King's miniseries It, I got Tommy into my life on my own volition. That was by going out and actually searching him and finding him. And I got connected with him and he became my mentor. And I did all of that without a rep, without a manager or an agent. And I quickly learned the only way you're really going to get anything done is to fucking do it yourself. So what is the job of a rep, whether it's an agent or a manager? Well, I mean, agents get you work and managers manage that work and keep you focused on the right things. I think that's like the simplest and best answer I can give you. I mean, both can find you work, but agents also have larger client lists, which means getting lost in the shuffle under their higher earners. So you may have some great ideas, but if your agency, whether you're an actor, 
a filmmaker, a writer, it doesn't matter. If there are people higher up the totem pole than you and they're making that agent, that representative more money, they're going to get the attention. That's what it comes down to because they're making a commission off of what you make as well. So if you're only making $50,000 on a project or $100,000, that's a lot different than a client who's pulling in 1.2, 10, 20, 30 million. A manager guides your career's trajectory. That's what they're supposed to do. I mean, look at it this way. I'm gonna look at that kid from Stranger Things, uh, Dustin, that kid. And look, you know, you're on this kid's show and as a manager, you want to be looking out for this kid's future because if I were a manager, and I'm not disparaging the, the manager that he had or the management, and he may not have any management at all. But what I'm saying is if I were the manager of this kid, I'd be worried about one thing, puberty. Because once this cute kid grows up, what do we do with him? And a number of child stars can tell you that is a very valid concern. So management should also be looking out for you down the road for the changing norms, for changing physical attributes on you. If you're an actor, are you, are you a cute kid but could grow up into an ugly adult? That's what you have to look out for. So a manager in this case, I don't know who was doing what. However, if I were Dustin from Stranger Things Kids Manager, I would not have moved him into a prank show on Netflix. I know that the reason why it's money, right? That's why this falls under cinema today. And that is, look, that's the lowest hanging fruit, a prank show. You're on one of the hottest streaming shows ever, okay, out there. And I want to say on television, but it's everywhere. Almost everybody knows of Stranger Things. And almost everybody knows of Dustin, especially since season three was very Dustin-centric. Seems like they're trying to give each of these kids their own on, on each season. However, to turn around and do a prank show, you know, basically punked with Dustin from Stranger Things, who was asking for that? Like the internet needs one more prank show. We don't have enough of those for free on TikTok and everywhere else and YouTube. And, and this kid, what does this kid bring to the table that's going to make this any good? And as far as I know, the, sh the show is not returning I, and nobody's really tweeting or talking about it. So that tells you a lot right there. But as a manager, I would not have guided that kid into that. There would be a lot of long-term talks with this kid as to see where he's going, what his plans are, and most of all, what's coming up for this kid as he leaves cute kid moppet phase and into awkward teenager phase. It all comes back to commissions. And when do you give one? If you go out and find the work, let's say you're listening and you have a manager or an agent and you go out and get the work. You bump into somebody, you network, someone knows someone, and before you know it, you have a chance to sell a script or produce a movie and you get the financing for the movie. When do you give that commission over? I mean, what are the lines? You need to make very clear with your representatives that if you go out and find the work, you do not owe a commission. Why are you forking over 10, 15% over to somebody who did absolutely nothing for you? And that's the hard part too, because sometimes these reps, you fall under the illusion that they become your friends. And you know, you want to help your friend, right? And you want to keep that friendship. But what happens when that friendship is one-sided? And if these reps are just going for the lowest hanging fruit, 
and they come to you with some really lousy projects and you refuse to take them, what happens when they say, well, you're, you're not cooperating? But, you know, you reply, you're, you're bringing me lousy projects. And their answer is, well, do you want to work or not? There is the cynicism inside of this. And that brings me to the next thing. You need to ask your rep all the time. And this goes back to a previous episode that I've done for cinema. And the title of that episode is, and here is the question you need to pose to your reps. What do you got? If your rep, whether you're an actor, uh, whether you're a writer, again, any of those in this entertainment industry, and your rep says to you, you are above this material. You should not be taking this kind of money for this project. Well, you need to look at the landscape very, very hard. And you need to say, well, what else is out there? I mean, if you have some gigs lining up and they're far better than what's being you know, brought to you, uh, well, then maybe. But if you've gone out and secured some work and it may not be the greatest work in your rep's eyes, but my answer would be then, okay, you don't want me to do this, so what do you got? And sometimes these reps will be very serious with you and they will tell you that you just need to be patient. But patient in Hollywood terms could be years. It could be decades. And if any of you are married, you're involved with someone, uh, how do you come home and tell your partner, your significant other, how do you tell them, well, you're just going to have to wait on income right now because my rep told me to wait, especially now that we have this pandemic and the way that it's affected the industry. All of you theater actors, you Broadway actors, off-Broadway actors, what do you tell your partners, your wives, your husbands? What, what do you tell them when, when your manager, your rep, your agent says, well, you're just going to have to be patient and wait for the vaccine. You have to eat. You have to pay bills. You've got to keep the lights on. So what do you say to that? And the question that I think that you say to your reps, well, that question is, well, what do you got? And if they come back with, well, you need to be patient, it might be time to look for some other representation because really, what are you missing out on? So let's go another step. Now, this usually is the case for, it can be for acting, but it's it's mostly for writing and, and I would say, you know, sometimes directing. And that is, when do you work for spec on a project? And what I mean by that is, for those of you who don't know what spec means, spec means basically you're, you're working for free. Okay, you're, you're taking a chance. Uh, you're going to write this script and cross your fingers that it's, it's going to get sold or that the person that you're bringing it to. And that's the other thing. When a rep comes to you and says, I want you to write this treatment, this script, whatever on spec. That means whoever they want to take it to is not willing to put up any money on you just as of yet. And, you know, there, there is the Joker's expression, never do what you're good at for free. But sometimes it is about networking. So you gotta be really, really careful and know how the landscape is and how that land lays before you go and put yourself into writing a full 90 to 100 page script only to find out that it was a colossal waste of your time and energy and efforts that could have been going towards something else to bring in some income. Now, I've written several things on spec over the years uh, for several different reps that I've had. And I can tell you this, not a single one of them ever sold. Everything that I've done, I have eight feature films to date. And you're going, wait, eight, you have the special, that's seven. No, I actually have an eighth coming as well, which I'll be talking about soon. 
as we get ready to ramp up the uh, promotion and stuff on that. Eight feature films. A straight-to-series reality show. And going on and on and on, a number of scripts. I've written for people and made money. That's my point. All of that I have done without the assistance of a rep. Everything that is on my IMDb, I secured myself. A rep didn't bring me a single thing that got made. And what I mean by got made is that I got paid. So before you rush out and think I've got to commit to a rep, an agent, an acting agent, WME, CAA, I've got to get into one of the big ones, it doesn't mean they're always going to work for you. And what happens when that rep comes to you and says, you are at a certain level in your career and you have to reject a project because it's beneath you. And this is what I mean is, is that it's a project that you found. You bring this project to your rep and it's going to pay you and maybe it's not going to pay you a lot. You have to decide, is the rep telling you this because it's really not worth their effort to take the meager commission coming off your already low budgeted project? Or are they telling you out of genuine concern that you could be pigeonholed, uh, you could be typecast, or this could actually be damaging to your career? That's what you need to ask. Because sometimes their attitude is, I just don't feel like working on this meager commission. In fact, it probably is just easier to make nothing than to help you on what you have. You see, the whole point of representation is that your reps are supposed to work for you. Lately, a lot of talent will argue, again, whether writing in front of the camera, behind the camera, a lot will argue is that these reps have become gatekeepers and oftentimes cock blockers for deals. And some of you I know are listening and nodding your heads right now because you've lost work. In fact, I've had celebrities tell me that I've approached their managers and it was only because I got to talk to the celebrity later. They said, oh my God, you approached him or her and they turned that down. If I would have known that, in other words, that rep never even brought my project to them. And why? Because they believed the commission on this would not be so good. It wasn't worth their time because I will tell you this, fucking Hollywood is lazy. Lazy Hollywood. If there are two words to take from this podcast today, it is lazy Hollywood. Hollywood. They don't want to work unless that fruit is hanging so low they can almost lie on their back and just have it dip like grapes into their mouths. So you have to be really, really careful. This I'll give you an example. On my first film, The Fields, I approached a horror star that all I have to do is say her name and you're all going to know who it is. And I approached her management. And this manager was so absolutely condescending and such a dick to me on the phone. This was the very first time. This was my movie, The Fields. It was the first time as a producer, I had to reach out as basically a talent agent because really what you're supposed to do is go to a casting or talent agent to secure the talent because if the talks go wrong, then the producer or director or even the writer of that film doesn't look like an idiot and it doesn't you know, show negatively on you and your name isn't besmirched. That's why you use a talent agent or a casting agent as a buffer to do that heavy lifting to secure that talent. But we had a low budget first film and what the hell did I know? I didn't have a rep telling me this. So I called this manager and I talked to this guy and I'm telling you, I, I made like, I guess, cause I was nervous and nervous laugh. And the guy goes, 
what's so fucking funny? And I was like, excuse me? He goes, well, I mean, you're, you're chuckling. What's so fucking funny? I'm like, why are you speaking to me this way? And I asked that guy, and when you pose a lot of times directness to people in Hollywood, they don't like it. If you're very direct and you cut through the Hollywood Starbucks meeting bullshit and you actually just directly talk to them, they get very offended and they get very skittish and scared because they see you can't be bullshitted. So when you confront them, they often become victims and they act like, well, why are you acting this way? Why are you talking this way? Why are you so upset? You shouldn't be so upset. And that's just what this manager did. When I said that, he goes, well, what are you talking about? I said, you know... I don't think this conversation has gone very well at all. And it's a real shame because this is a good part and I'm actually offering some really good money for your client's time. So uh, I wish you well. Uh, Please pass on my regards to your client, but this isn't going to work. And I hung up on the guy. And five minutes later, this asshole calls me back and is all nice to me and like, well, I I don't understand why you're reacting the way that you are. Why am I acting the way that I am? Because you were a dick to me on the phone and no reason to be. I am calling you and offering your client money. I am technically the customer and I am purchasing a product. Aren't we all told growing up, the customer is always right. Those of you who worked in retail, how many of you that have waited tables have had to shut your mouth and eat a shit sandwich in that restaurant to keep your mouth shut because the customer is always right to keep your job. And I did not go in stupid. I did not go in arrogant. I was not rude. I was completely as professional as I could be for what I knew at the time. And this guy treated me like I was a piece of garbage. And suddenly he came back with, well, you could have this client and I have another client and blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, if you're this difficult now and all I did was call up and offer you some money that we're talking, I'm telling you, and it was $25,000 that I was offering for only several days worth of work. And this guy is already being difficult. Imagine what happens when we finally sign his client. Now, the best part is a couple years later, I ran into this celebrity and we were talking and we had a drink and I said, oh, by the way, are you still rep by so-and-so? She goes, oh no, I got rid of that guy. And I told her the story of the fields when I called. And she said, my God, if I would have known that, I would have fired him then and did your movie. So that's where reps can get in the way. And if you think, well, that's just a lower level rep. Oh, no, 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 no. There are people at WME, CAA, UTA, you name them, Paradigm, who complain all the time that they're just lost in the shuffle. And that managers and agents there... They just don't care. I'll give you an example. We had a cash offer for a major A-list celebrity who was repped by one of the top three agencies in the world. And it was a pay or play cash offer that, in other words, if this actor accepts this role, they get paid whether or not the movie ever gets made or released. They are guaranteed their paycheck. And it was a million Dollars And here's the best part for one day's worth of work. How many of you would jump at a million dollars for one day's worth of work? And this agent not only wasted three months of my time saying, oh, I can't get through to this person. I'm like, you're his agent. How do you not get through to this person? How can you not communicate with this person? Here I found out 
that the agent was trying to put out a fire and this major A-list celebrity was jumping ship from his agency to another one and just didn't tell me. And this guy wasted my time. Like he got on the phone with me and he talked with me. We struck up a rapport. And I really thought with this good cash offer, I'm going to get this star. And it never happened. And it was only after we found out that this celebrity through Variety Magazine jumped ship over to another agency that we finally understood. But that agent was not working even in his own client's benefit. And we found out later that the agent was also not incentivized enough because a million dollars for this actor really isn't much of a commission. So this agent felt that basically a $100,000 commission wasn't worth the time. When this actor can go on, of course, and make 40, 50 million on a movie, well, that's a much heftier commission. That is cinema, folks. And that's where I'm winding this down today. For these kind of stories, think about what you really want out of a representative and are they really working for you? Because the whole goal, if you remember my previous episode called The Cool Kids Lunch Table, Hollywood Bullshit and The Cool Kids Lunch Table is we want to deal with this bullshit just for a seat at that cool kids lunch table. And that cool kids lunch table means something to you, whether you're an actor, it means something different if you're a writer, it means something different if you're a director. But you have to be wary of these reps who tell you one thing and never really end up working for you anyway. A lot of times it comes down to this. You have to make your own magic. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking to you on another episode. Stay safe out there.